I'm sure you have often been asked, as I have, if God is such a good God, why is there so much evil in the world? And of course the answer is that he, God gave us the gift of freedom. Freedom is a gift of God and is given to us by God because he loves us. He does not want us to be slaves, but to be friends. A slave has no freedom. He might have benefits, but no freedom. A friend is free. Friends are free to love one another. They love one another in freedom. Friends are united heart and soul. We can think of the friendship of brotherhood amongst men who come together for a common purpose, or the friendship of sisterhood amongst women who likewise come together for a common purpose. We can think of right-ordered friendships between the sexes, whether they're spouses or whether they are not spouses. We can look to the example of the saints for many good friendships. We can think, for example, of male and female saints who were friends with one another. For example, Saint Francis and Saint Clare, or Saint Teresa of Jesus uh, of Avila and Saint John of the Cross. Or we can think of uh, two brothers who were deep friends with one another and who evangelized the Slavic peoples whom we celebrated recently, Saint Cyril and Methodius. We can think of a brother and sister who loved each other with that love of friendship, Saints Benedict and Saint Scholastica. We can think of two brothers who loved each other, two, sorry, two saints who were not brothers but loved each other with that deep love of friendship, Saints Basil the Great and Saint Gregory Nazianzen. We read in their lives how one, one competed with the other not to be a saint, but to help the other to be a saint. That's what they competed with one another for. They loved each other so much, they wanted the other to be the greater saint. And such is the freedom that was granted to our first parents in the Garden of Eden. They were given the freedom to eat of any tree in the garden. The tree of life was available to them. They could have elected to eat of the fruit of the tree of life, but instead they elected to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil, obviously by knowing evil, by committing sin. We read in the book of Sirach today about this freedom that we have. We have the freedom to keep the commandments, and if we do so, we will gain salvation. We have the freedom to trust in God. Keeping the commandments, of course, involves trusting in God, and we are promised the gift of life if we trust in God. We are told that there is fire and water, and we can stretch out our hands, and whichever one we choose will be given to us. This reminds me of a little childhood experiment I did uh, without my parents knowing. But I think they may have been out at the time. And you know, we used to have those electric fires with, with the filament wrapped around you know, a heat-proof core and, um, and just with a, with a guard in front of it. And I always wondered whether I could, after switching it on, touch it before it would get hot. So that's what I did. I plugged it in, switched it on, and touched it. Well, I wasn't counting on a huge electric shock. 
and of course at 240 volts in the UK, not 110 like here. So I didn't get burnt so much, but I got that shock. Maybe that's why I went on to study electrical engineering when I went to university. But you know, having learned my lesson, I never did it again. And that can happen to us, you know, we exercise our freedom to go for something and our conscience may not be well formed. But once we have learned what is right and wrong, we have no reason to repeat the wrong. I never ever again felt tempted to stick my finger in that electric fire. No one is ever commanded by God to sin. As the book of Sirach says, God gives no one license to sin. No one can say in my particular circumstances God wills or permits that I commit this sin or that I remain in a sinful state. We can always choose whether or not to sin or to do good, whether or not to remain in, objective, in an objectively sinful situation or to change. Of course, bad habits make it more difficult to avoid sin. Sometimes they even extend to an addiction that can mitigate the subjective sinfulness of an action or a sinful state in life, while not diminishing in any way the objective gravity of that sin or that situation. This is why the church rejects what's known as situation ethics, a morality that would say, well, this thing is sinful, but in my situation, it's excusable to do it, or even it's a good. Church rejects that. What is sinful is always sinful, whatever the situation. It is, can, it is never justifiable to perform an immoral act uh, or something evil in order to pursue something that may be good. Our Lord tells us today in the Gospel that he has come not to abolish the commandments, but to fulfill them. And he speaks about three particular commandments, the commandments not to kill, not to commit adultery, and not to bear false witness. If I were to dwell on each of them, you would be here a long time. The Father's commentary on, these, on, this, uh, on this Gospel is extensive. So I'm only going to dwell on the first one, not because I think the other two are not important, they really are. But, but from the first we can learn lessons about the other. The commandment is, thou shalt not kill. But our Lord tells us, whoever is angry with a brother is liable to judgment. Whoever calls a brother Raka will, is liable to the Sanhedrin or the, count, the council. Whoever calls his brother a fool is liable for hell, to hell fire. He tells us that our righteousness is to be above that of the Pharisees. Now, we must be careful about condemning scribes and Pharisees. Not all scribes and Pharisees were bad. A Jewish scholar brought this, uh, wrote about this recently because the phrase is perhaps overused. You know, it's bandied about too much. Oh, you Pharisee, you scribe. Well, there were and there are good scribes and good Pharisees amongst the people of Israel. Even if we look at the life of a righteous Pharisee who keeps the commandments and is faithful to the law, our righteousness has to exceed even that. Because we have been called by Christ to a higher level of sanctity to move beyond the mere observation of the letter of the law, but to live it in spirit. A word about this uh, word raka. 
It's a word that signifies contempt, uh, that we consider someone worthless or empty or vain. We could use this word either literally or by our attitude, by ignoring someone, by giving them the impression and letting them know that we actually don't think much about their opinion or about them in particular. We think they're unimportant. It is an unworthy reproach to one who has in him the Holy Spirit to call him empty. You see, when our Lord speaks about the brothers, he's speaking about the our fellow members of the family of faith, the household of the faith, in which the Holy Spirit dwells in each one of us. So it's almost a sin against the Holy Spirit to call someone who possesses the Holy Spirit empty. Speaking of the punishment of hell due to a word, St. John Chrysostom teaches, Think not then this too heavy a punishment when so many sufferings and sins have their beginning in a word. I'm sure each one here can testify that they have felt wounded by the words of someone else. They've been on the receiving end of a sharp tongue. But maybe everyone here can also admit that we have been the one to utter sharp words as well, hurtful comments. And there's even more opportunities for that now with emails and tweets. None of these things can be unsaid. Once they are said, they cannot be unsaid. And you know, if you think you can delete a tweet if you use Twitter, if you don't know Twitter, what Twitter is, you are blessed in your ignorance. But if you do know, and you think you can tweet something in anger and then delete it, someone will very likely have taken a screenshot of what you wrote, and they'll bring it back later uh, and let the world know what came out of you. We can think of gossip as well, can't we? We think of what St. Francis de Sales apparently gave as a penance to someone who confessed the sin of gossip, saying, take a pillow and go out on the hill and empty the feathers out on the hill and come back. So this, the penitent came back and said, Father, I've done that, what must I do now? And he said, go and collect all the feathers. And it's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible to unsay things that we have said. St. John Chrysostom goes on, A little word has often begotten a murder and overturned whole cities, and yet it is not to be thought a little word that denies a brother reason and understanding by which we are men and differ from the brutes. You see what a, what a grave thing it is to dismiss someone as not having anything worth saying. St. Hilary says, He who reproaches with emptiness, one full of the Holy Spirit, will be arraigned in the assembly of the saints, the saints in heaven, the church, and by their sentence will be punished for an affront against the Holy Spirit himself. And yet St. Paul calls the Galatians fools when he writes, O senseless Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose Eyes, Jesus Christ, hath been set forth, crucified among you. Are you so foolish that where you began in the Spirit, whereas you began in the Spirit, you would now be made perfect by the flesh? Or he writes to the Corinthians uh, about those who are seeking to uh, bring the, the Christian converts back to a Jewish observation of the letter of the law and circumcision. He tells the Corinthians, You gladly put up with fools. Because you are wise yourselves, for you suffer it if a man enslaves you, if a man devours you, if a man takes from you, if a man is arrogant. 
And in the Latin, the word for fools is incipiens, which is like lacking in salt, lacking in taste, insipid. Very much like the word for wisdom, because when he goes on to speak about you are wise, the word is sapiens. So a foolish man is one who is without that taste, that salt of the Holy Spirit, who is empty. Psalm 13 speaks about the fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the psalm goes on to describe the fool as dead, particularly as regards the sense of speech. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they acted deceitfully. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Such is the fool and the words that come from the mouth of the fool. Words lacking in the Holy Spirit. So the Lord is speaking about words to our brothers and sisters, those of the family of the faith who have the Spirit within them. We shall be liable to judgment or even eternal punishment for words against such a brother, for they are words against the Holy Spirit. And we find, if we find that we have committed this offense, then the Lord immediately goes on to speak about reconciliation. God, because God loves concord in the faithful more than offerings at his altar. As long as there are dissensions among the faithful, their gift is not looked upon, their prayer is not heard. And the fathers tell us, as was the offense, so should be the reconciliation. If you have offended in thought, be reconciled in thought. If in words, be reconciled in words. If in deeds, in deeds be reconciled. Only once peace with our brother or sister is restored, then may we return to peace with God, passing from the love of men to the love of God. And then we can come and offer our gift. And resolving to do this at the, at the earliest opportunity, even just with an act of contrition or confessing our sins in confession, is already a reconciliation pleasing to God in anticipation of that that we look forward to accomplishing with the brother or sister uh, whom we have offended. And Lent is a good time to examine honestly our conscience and to see how we can not just live the letter of the law, but actually live the spirit of the law in each of these areas, whether it be in words, whether it be in our relationships with one another, uh, whether it be in that truthfulness, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And, other, and the other commandments as well. For we are all called to great holiness. We're called to go beyond uh, the strictly necessary. Uh, Nicola was wondering today whether I should ask him not to serve because he shaved his head. Well, and he, he explained he has done so because he, he wants to gain a few seconds when he's swimming. Makes all the difference, you see. Well, how far are you prepared to go? How far am I prepared to go? What lengths are we prepared to go in order to gain that prize of eternal life, that truth, real happiness, deep relationship, deep friendship with God. For we are called to great holiness in Christ. None of us is above the law, but Christ gives us the means to move beyond the letter of the law and, its, and its, to its fulfillment in the Spirit. La libertad es un regalo que Dios nos ha dado porque nos ama. No nos llama esclavos sino amigos. Los amigos se aman en libertad. Por lo tanto, como nos dice el libro de Sirach, somos libres de elegir si guardar o no los mandamientos. Nadie puede obligarnos a, guardo, a guardar los mandamientos. De otro lado, nunca hay ninguna ocasión en que no tengamos op otra opción que pecar. 
Podemos elegir la vida, la vida o la muerte, fuego o agua. Depende de nosotros. Jesús nos dice hoy que nuestra justicia debe ser mayor que la de los escribas y fariseos. Debemos tener cuidado de no pensar que los escribas y fariseos son de hecho personas malas. Hubo escribas y fariseos justos, fieles, pero nosotros tenemos que ser aún más justos, incluso más santos. ¿Por qué? Porque contamos con la ayuda de la gracia de Jesucristo que llama no solo a obedecer la ley, sino a ir más allá. Mientras que los mandamientos nos dicen que no debemos matar, Jesús nos dice que no debemos enojarnos con una mano, o llamarlo raca o un tonto. La palabra raca significa desprecio, considerar a alguien sin valor, vacío, vano. Pero una mano o hermana de la familia de la fe, de la casa de la fe, es decir, un compañero cristiano que está viviendo una vida fiel, no está vacío, sino lleno del Espíritu Santo. Llamar a alguien que está lleno del Espíritu Santo vacío, despreciar un hermano de la casa de la fe, es como cometer un pecado contra el Espíritu Santo. Llamar tonto a alguien nos condena al fuego eterno. San Juan Crisóstomo enseña que este no es un castigo demasiado pesado cuando consideramos que tantos sufrimientos y pecados comienzan en una palabra. Una pequeña palabra a menudo ha engendrado un asesinato y ha derrocado ciudades enteras. Sin embargo, una palabra que niega la razón y la comprensión en un hermano, como la palabra raca o tonto, hace no, como estas palabras hacen, no es después de todo una pequeña palabra. Y sin embargo, San Pablo describe a los gálatas como tontos. ¿Quién os ha embrujado para que no obedezcáis la verdad de Jesucristo crucificado por vosotros? Sois tan tontos que mientras comenzasteis en el Espíritu, ahora seríais perfectos en la carne. Los samas hablan del tonto, que dice en corazón, no hay Dios. Y describe al tonto como muerto, particularmente en cuanto respeta a la lengua. Su garganta es un sepulcro abierto, con sus lenguas actuaron engañosamente. Su boca está llena de maldiciones y amargura. Sus pies son rápidos para derramar sangre. El tonto es el que está vacío del Espíritu Santo. El Señor está hablando de palabras dirigidas a nuestros hermanos en la casa de la fe, que tienen el Espíritu Santo dentro de ellos. Seremos susceptibles de juicio o incluso castigo eterno por las palabras contra un hermano, así porque son palabras contra el Espíritu Santo. Antes de presentar nuestros dones en el altar, debemos reconciliarnos con un hermano con el que nos hemos enojado o al que hemos insultado como vacío o tonto. Mientras haya disensiones entre los fieles, sus ofrendas no son consideradas como por Dios. Sus oraciones no son escuchadas. Debemos reconciliarnos de acuerdo con el delito. Si, ha, si has ofendido en el pensamiento, reconcíliate en el pensamiento. Si en palabras, reconciliarse en palabras. Si en hechos, se reconcilian en, en hechos. Una vez que estés en paz con tu hermano, ven y ofrece tu regalo. La cuaresma es un buen momento para examinar nuestras conciencias, para ver si realmente estamos viviendo los mandamientos de la manera en que Jesús también nos llama. Estamos llamados a una gran santidad. Ninguno de nosotros está por encima de la ley, 
Pero Cristo nos da los medios para ir más allá de la letra de la ley a su cumplimiento en el Espíritu.